Paul Godfrey, today's guest, is the 2022 Outstanding Faculty Member at BYU's Business School and author of the new book, Clean, Lessons from Ecolab's Century of Positive Impact, which shows leaders the pathway to a more sustainable world. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Paul, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's just a thrill to catch up again. Yeah, Devin, it's wonderful to see you again. You're looking happy and healthy. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, thank you, Paul. Uh, I was so excited when you reached out to tell me about your new book. Congratulations on uh, publishing uh, uh, Clean Lessons from Ecolab's Century of Positive Impact. Uh, I- I'm excited to learn more. I-, I-, I can't wait to read it. I apologize that I haven't had a chance to do that, but I will endeavor to get that done before I write this uh, episode up. But it's uh, it's a thrill to see that uh, you to see you tackle this. Tell us about uh, Clean. Well, the first thing I'll tell you is if you haven't read it yet, that's good. It only came out on Tuesday, and I think Amazon just started shipping probably Tuesday night. So you're probably okay there. Um, <laughs> so I was doing some work for a international company that did industrial water back in 2017, and they wanted to know about this company, Nalco Water, which was the industry leader. So I did a bunch of research, and everything I read about this company was just hard to believe because they were their customers saying their praises. They helped them manage water, save money, reduce their environmental footprint, a whole bunch of things. And so I said, yeah, is this real? So I called up now, Nalco got bought by Ecolab in 2011. So I called up, get this, the Ecolab main number, the receptionist in 2017, you know, they still had one. And I said, can I talk to somebody who knows about sustainability at Alco Water. And the receptionist, very kind, sure, I'll connect you. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, right, I'm going to end up at voicemail or I'm going to end up in some administrative assistant's office, you know, and I'm just going to be lost. And about 15 seconds later, this guy, Emilio Tenuta, answers the phone and Emilio is the vice president of sustainability at Ecolab. And he had come from Nalco and we had a great conversation found out that we had a lot in common, both personally, but also the way we viewed the world. And that led to a partnership where we wrote a couple of business cases. And then we decided to write this book to celebrate Ecolab's 100th birthday. So on March 9th, Ecolab turned 100 years old. And the the fun thing about the book and the story is Ecolab was sustainable from day one. So their value proposition was about reducing environmental impact, making a social contribution from their business. And this is from their first product long, you know, 90 years before sustainability comes on the market as something companies ought to care about. They were, they were doing it. So, you know, this is a story, uh, um, but it's a story, not about Ecolab. Ecolab is sort of the skeleton but the story is about the principles that they use to become a sustainable company. And those are the same principles that other organizations, companies, NGOs, churches, governments, by adopting these sets of principles, they can become environmentally, socially, and business sustainable. So it's 
it's interesting that the the book is uh, in a way a, a celebration and a almost a corporate memoir, but but you've turned it into uh, something of a how-to manual as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So you know, each chapter starts with an Ecolab story. Um, one of them, I got to travel to Vegas to write the book because um, you've been to Vegas and it's all about heating and air conditioning and water conservation. And so Ecolab literally owns Las Vegas in the in the water treatment, air conditioning and sanitation space. Uh, I think of the 19 major properties on the strip there, they have 13 or 14 of them buying some ver- version of their products and services. So, you know, there are, there are stories about Ecolab, about the people, about what they do, but then it's about the principles. And, and you can see behind me um, this, this pyramid, which are the five P's or the four P's that, um, that Equilab has used to become successful. And at the, at the whole root of it, this is back to 1923, is a world perspective, a view of Velton Shalom that sees um, fundamental respect between Ecolab as a business and its customers and employees and other stakeholders, a view of the world that's integrated. So seeing that cleaning material is more than just cleaning your desktop or your surface, it's about water, it's about labor. And so by being fully integrated, Ecolab offers a product at a price premium that saves its customers money. Then they're growth oriented. I mean, they went from one employee and a couple thousand dollars in sales to a $14 billion corporation. Um, They're extremely humble. They learn from their customers. They learn from their employees. When they make mistakes, they own up and they move on. And then they're, they're, uh, they're all about technology, which is technical solutions. Innovation is going to help us become more sustainable. You combine those five things, you got the right perspective. And that's what the book's about. It's about if you adopt this perspective, how does it help you set priorities? How does it help you invest to build processes and products? And how does it help you perform? So that's sort of moving up the um, moving up the ladder there. I'm my my screen is a little bit, it's not mirrored, so I'm I'm moving a different way. But uh <laughs> But that's the story of the book. And, and the key thing is, whether you're a new startup or an existing company, you can change your perspective. You can adopt the right perspective and become and lay the seeds to become a sustainable company. What is the key? We don't have time to go through the whole book, of course. But, but if you were to, to distill down to one key message, uh, what is the step for becoming a more sustainable company? Well, I think there, there as, as any author will tell you, there's, there's not one, but there's two. Um, one is respect. You, you have to fundamentally believe that everything you deal with is an entity worthy of respect. That means a customer, that means an employee, that means the truck you're driving, that means the world that you're living in. So if you don't fundamentally respect the dignity and innate worth of everything that you deal with, you're never going to really become sustainable. You're going to get close, but you're never really going to get there. And the other one is, is follows up right on from that, which is integration. You have to see your part in the whole. 
you have to see where you're just one thread in a tapestry and the others that connect to you, but the others that you allow to connect. And so if you, if you see the world as an integrated whole, then you see your actions in terms of environmental impact, in terms of what you're doing for society. So those would be the two things. If, if you really want to be sustainable, you got to start there. Uh, those are fantastic uh, observations. And uh, it's it's a thrill, Paul, to see you uh, tackle all of these issues. Uh, you know, some of your work in the past has focused on uh, eliminate, eliminating poverty, right? Reducing mm-hmm. poverty. And I wonder how you think about the connection between environmental sustainability and poverty. So... So there's a story about Ecolab back in the early 1980s, late 1970s. Vietnam War had ended and there were hundreds of thousands of refugees. We called them boat people. And it's a pejorative term, but because they all got on boats and they left Cambodia, they left Vietnam and they went wherever they could land. Well, a bunch of these folks who spoke Hmong ended up in Minneapolis. So one of the things that Ecolab did was hired these folks, trained them to be technicians, to clean dishwashers, to install soap dispensers, to do these things. And they paid them to learn English. They paid them to integrate into the society and the fabric of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, it turns out today Minneapolis has one of the most thriving Hmong communities in the United States. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that's because you see that there are people around you who are struggling and you see that, that you can do something. And hey, you know, this, this is not pure charity. They hired these folks to become valued employees and members of the team but they also realized they needed to help them learn to speak English and integrate into U.S. society. So I think that's one of the ways this right perspective can help you um, become environmentally and socially sustainable and help lift people out of poverty. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Paul, you've, you've accomplished a lot. You've had a a stellar career uh, as a professor at BYU and as an author, this is, I think your your fifth book, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's number yeah. five. So, just just amazing career and and kudos. Uh, what do you see as your superpower? You know, just to the to the viewers, I knew this question was coming, and I'm not sure I have a superpower. <laughs> but I think if I if I have a superpower, um, it's I love to learn. Um, throughout my career, you know, I, I tell people who think about getting a PhD. Um, you know, what's the best thing about the career is you can, you can change careers without changing jobs. So I have looked at over the course of my career, how businesses earn long-term profits, how, how, why some are sustainable over time in, in terms of pure profitability. I've looked at um, poverty. I've looked at strategic risk. Now I'm looking at sustainability. You know, these are all different careers and I get to do it without ever changing jobs. But the key is you got to keep learning. So one of the things I did about 15 or 16 years ago was I set a goal to read 30 books that year because I'd ordered a bunch of books. You know, as a professor, I'm like an addict. 
you know, and, and Amazon is like my best friend. So I thought I'm going to read 30 books because I had this shelf full of books that I never read. And I did it. And I learned a ton. And what I've done over the last 15 years is probably average 20 to 30 books a year and about all sorts of different things. So, you know, on my way home from Minneapolis on Sunday, I read Daniel Jurgen's new book, The New Map, which is all about energy driving the world in the 21st century. And then I read uh, David Baldacci's um, book, uh, one of his novels. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I read and then I'm also reading a book right now about the future of money and what is digital currency going to be. So, you know, I read promiscuously. I don't uh, I don't draw lines about what I'll read and what I won't read. But I read a lot and that gives you a different perspective on the world. And so I think my superpower would be I, I know how to learn and, and I love it. And I love to learn new things and try new things. As you think about that, um, I want you to reflect on things you've accomplished, but that have grown directly out of the your love of learning and share us uh, share with us an example of something that you accomplished because of your love of learning. So about a decade ago, I had a colleague at BYU who had a really unique set of data. And this was data on every university licensed startup from 1980 to what was then 2010, but what then became 2015. And we started asking questions about how could we figure out which of these companies succeeded and which ones didn't. And I was very interested because of my work on poverty, about the role of geography, about the role of local culture, and about the role of local institutions. So we started looking at how does geography impact survival of these, um, uh, these companies. And so in 2020, probably 10 years or more after that first conversation, we published a piece in Nature Biotechnology, one of the leading science journals in the entire world that documented what happens to these university licensed technology startups. And it was just a journey. I didn't know much about the startup world. I didn't know a whole lot about economic geography, but was very interested in it. So I learned a lot about what makes a cluster, uh, which is a sort of like Silicon Valley is a cluster what makes them succeed, um, and then how these companies fit in. So, you know, that was a really nice feather in my cap to publish in Nature. But it all started because I was willing to learn about an, an area in a field I didn't know anything about. Perfect example. Perfect example. Now, here's the challenging question. Uh, Paul, as you think about this love of learning that you've developed, as a professor, you've often, I'm sure, had to try to cajole perhaps is the word your students into developing at least some appetite for learning what is the what is the coaching you give uh, how do you encourage someone to develop this love of learning or you know maybe they they're not going to get to your level level of love of learning but how can they get to a higher level of interest in learning well I think there are two things that I do. Number one is I have a passion for learning, and so I communicate that. And I hope that's infectious. But even more, and this is a bit painful, 
But if you're going to learn, the first thing you have to do is admit you don't know something. You have to get over that hurdle. So, so one of the things that I, when I used to teach ethics, and you know, teaching ethics at a religiously based institution is really, really tough because everybody thinks, hey, I, 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 I'm religious, I'm faithful, I don't need ethics. So the first day, the first challenge was a case to say, hey, maybe I don't know everything about ethics. Maybe there's actually something this guy can teach me. And if you can get people to that position, to sort of question and admit there are things that they don't know, but that they'd like to know, well, then you've opened the path for learning because then you can figure out how to get there. And then, you know, the, the one, one final thing, and I know this is going to be on the web, but if you really want to do deep learning, the internet is not your friend. The internet can give you the first sort of quarter inch of knowledge, but you've got to read books. You have to talk to people. You have to really be willing to engage with experts if you want to truly learn. So, so that's the, the sort of three-part thing. Passion, figure out what you don't know and then be willing to go deep. And if you can do those three things, you can learn. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great, great insights, great insights. Well, Paul, it's been a joy to catch up with you. I, I, I'm grateful that you would take the time. Uh, congratulations again on publishing Clean. If, if you would uh, just take a minute now and share with us how people can uh, get a copy of the book, how they can uh, connect with you, follow you perhaps on social media. If they want to reach out, uh, please tell them the best way to do, to connect with you, et cetera. But take a minute and make sure that people know how to follow up. Okay. Uh, this is completely antithetical to my comments about the, uh, the internet. Amazon is the best way to get a hold of the book. Um, there are copies of the book at, in brick and mortar stores, but if you don't have a big Barnes & Noble by you, Amazon.com, clean lessons from Ecolab. It'll come right up. Um, secondly, how people can get a hold of me. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. My LinkedIn profile, just type in Paul C. Godfrey and you'll find me. Um, I also have an author page on Amazon, so you can sort of learn a little bit more about me there. And then you can also, if you if you get really desperate, you can look at the Brigham Young University Marriott School of Business website, and you can get my contact information from there. But thanks for that opportunity to, to give a shout out and, and a shout out to you for all the good work that you've done for me and blessing my life over the years. Well, thank you, Paul. You're very kind. You're very kind. It's a thrill to reconnect. And Paul, we wish you every success with this book. I understand that it's uh, already been a category leader in several categories. So kudos and congratulations. And we certainly hope this book uh, continues to thrive and has the influence and impact you hope it has. Thanks, Devin. I really appreciate that. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. 
Then let's talk. Now keep using your superpowers for good. Together we can reverse climate change, improve global health and eradicate poverty.